1: You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Taryn Hatcher. And Taryn and myself have the utmost pleasure of welcoming the voice, the legendary voice of the Flyers, Jim Jackson, to chat a little Flyers and a little bit about his broadcasting career and a new initiative of his as well. So we are super pumped. Jim Jackson, how are you? Thanks so much for joining us.
0: I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Yes, uh, you say I'm legendary. Only old people are legendary, but I guess that, that you're saying something.
1: I <laughs> meant that in a good way, not by the age at all. <laughs> but, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, not the best performance by the Flyers, but we're going to have some fun talking Flyers, that's for sure. Jim, let's get right into it. Uh, Flyers go down to the Bruins 4-3 in overtime. Really a demoralizing loss. They're up 3-1 with about eight minutes left. Uh, and they commit three penalties, give up three power play goals, uh, and they get a point, but they fall in overtime. Jim, is that I wanted to ask you, is that the worst loss of the season for the Flyers so far? They've had two 6-1 clunkers, but I think that one might beat it.
0: Yeah, I mean, they had the one other close loss, which was also against the Bruins when they went to the shootout, and they blew a lead in that game as well. But this one this one stung, there's no question. I mean, you're talking about, uh, I think, when you're getting to six, seven minutes to go, you're starting to say, wow, eight? eight two and one now this is really a, you know and three points clear of the Bruins in the standings and all this and uh you know you're really starting to get pumped up and you, you start thinking ahead and I don't think the team did as much as they just were guilty of a couple of penalties that um, I didn't like the Hayes call if uh, we had been on the air <laughs> we would have been bellyaching a little bit about that call uh the closing to Anna on the puck call is a penalty but I've seen it Phil Myers has done it twice this year and not gotten called on it Um, so that's not always called either. Scottie Lawton's penalty was a penalty, but um, bottom line is that's a power play you can't give opportunities to, especially in a close game late, and they did, and they paid for it. And, yeah, it's a tough loss, Jordan. I will say this, though, from about the 10-minute mark of the first period to the point where they started taking the penalties in the third – It was one of their more solid performances against a really good team. So I think uh, A.V. and the coaching staff have that to build off of a little bit, that they started to get in on the forecheck. This Boston defense is missing some key pieces from last year and also Matt Grizzly this year. They can be had if you get the puck behind them, as our old friend Kate Amory used to say, get pucks deep, because uh, they they basically can be had there. And and the Flyers did affect them with the forecheck in the middle part of that game. And that's their M.O. from last year, the Flyers, and that's an M.O. they've been searching. Searching for through their great start they really haven't done a lot of it so uh, there are positive signs even out of the loss ironically uh, they probably played better in this loss than they did in several of their wins in the first 10 games
2: do you think then this team uh, views that game even though the you know flyers Twitter and the fan base sees that game as a huge kind of blow just cutting you at the knees kind of a game but I, I'm kind of on board with you, JJ, it felt like for a chunk of that game, it was the biggest step toward who they used to be, what their identity used to be. So if you're AV, and we know AV, how do you think he digests that with the team as they try to they, – they haven't had a full game where they've played that way. They, they haven't had a complete game where they play – well, even to be honest, so how do you digest that when it's go- when you sit there and you go this was the furthest we went in the right direction so far, but we can't sustain it.
0: Yeah, the one thing that they do is they have video and they'll they'll have a lot of positive video on how they get in on the forecheck. Uh, which they haven't had a lot of that video, to be honest with you, through the first 10 games, even smaller stretches of uh, a half a period or maybe three-quarters of a period. This was really from, as I said, halfway or so through the first period to – maybe six or seven minutes to go in the game. So that's a good long stretch, about two, minutes, two periods of hockey, and against a really good team. So uh, I think they can use that, turn to, to, to as positive reinforcement. At the same time, they're going to have to say, you've got to stay out of the box. You, you can't be in the box against a team like this. The Bruins' power play has been good for so long. They've got pasta knocked back. It's, it's just you, you have to stay out of the box. And how we feel about the game on Wednesday um you know it's going to be impacted a lot by what happens in the game Friday and you know if they are able to come back and beat the Bruins on Friday you're going to say hey they they took some of that positive from from Wednesday and built off of it beat Boston they're back in first place and it's a little blip what happened Wednesday but if they get crushed as they did in the second game up in Boston after losing a tight game in the first one it's going to hurt that much more
1: hiring with Indeed your search is over Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, Jim, I think Friday is going to be a little bit of a character testing time for the Flyers because you can either soak in that loss and have it in the back of your mind continually, or you can just seriously put it, put it away, bury it and say, hey, we have a chance to go out and make a statement on Friday and, and, and split yeah, Jim, I, to me, if, if, the, if the Bruins' top-end players made top-end plays at even strength and they beat you that way, you, you tip your cap to them. But to put that power play on the ice uh, three times in the final eight minutes just can't happen. But, Jim, I wanted to ask you, can the Flyers take solace in the fact that now twice in the three matchups with the Bruins, arguably the best team in the NHL right up there with, with the best, they had two uh, two-goal two leads in the third period they very easily or very well could have two wins against Boston. Do you think they're, that's going to be in their mind at all that, hey, we're right there, we just need to finish?
0: Well, it's in their mind, but it won't be in their mind if they get crushed on Friday. You know, it really, I think, is, is it's a pretty important game on Friday. And also, they don't have Sean Couturier. And, and let's face it, if Sean Couturier is in the lineup, he's out there every time the perfection line's out for Boston. And Patrice Bergeron is the kind of player that, that uh, that Keturi, they, they'll drive each other crazy, but they, they can both check each other pretty well. And then you hope that the line mates for, for Coots can take care of the, the really talented wingers that, that Bergeron has, but if they can at least slow that line down a little bit and their damage was on the power play again, instead of the box, number one, but, but at five on five, they can slow that line down. And Coots can slow down just about anybody. Uh, you know, these games might've gone a different way, at least two of the three. So Uh, I don't think they're far away. Uh, I mean, they're far away in terms of the way they played some of the games in their first 10, but they weren't very far away, obviously, on Wednesday. They they had that game, should have won it. So if you should have won it, you got to go ahead and do it. Uh, but it's all, it's a results oriented business. Uh, so you got to get the win. You know, if you, you, you enter the game in Tahoe having lost four games to Boston and, and lost, but what one other game or so, if that, that is the way it plans out, you know, it's going to be great that you're you're beating other teams, but eventually you're going to have to be Boston to get to the Stanley cup finals even to get to the conference finals. So, um, or, well, I guess it wouldn't be the conference finals, but the semifinals this year. So, they're gonna to have to prove they can be Boston somewhere along the line and there will never be a better time than Friday.
2: JJ, and this might be an oversimplification in terms of a question and a little bit harsh, but
0: I, I what's never the have problem? known you Taryn, ever to be harsh. So All right.
2: No, but seriously, like what's <laughs> the problem? Like this team didn't look like themselves in the bubble. They, they won games in the round robin, but not playing the way that we really saw them play before the pause. It was a lot of like young depth guys, I think had their legs when other people didn't have their legs or had access to train when other people didn't have access to train. And then they came back and they still don't look like they did before the bubble. And in like fundamental ways. So my question to you, what, it, what's the problem? Like what is going on?
0: Well, I mean, there's so many theories about this. Um, maybe the, the, the two-month or three-month stretch leading into the bubble wasn't really as impressive as we thought in terms of it it was just a, a bit of a surge. I think that's too long of a sample size. If you, if you look back to that from November – 11th or something like that till the pause they were tied for second in the nhl in points so that's about a three-month stretch to me that means you were a good team it wasn't just a hot streak so it's there we know it's there with the team now you have the pause you come back you beat three teams uh in the round robin i don't think that was good for the flyers <laughs> i think they got a little bit high on themselves even though as you pointed out the, the top star players weren't necessarily producing but they were winning they were beating good teams boston tampa washington so they went into those playoffs a little bit too comfortable, I think. Uh, and then Montreal outplayed them for long stretches in the first round. And then, of course, the Islanders did as well in the second round. So we're all left to say, well, when the tempo picked up in the playoffs, the Flyers didn't quite pick up with it. Um, they they gutted out wins, found ways to get to seven games against the Islanders, found ways to beat Montreal. But never did we ever feel as though they were playing at their peak in, in those playoffs after the the round robin so then we come to this season and it's kind of the same thing but they're winning they are winning games they have their best start since 0203 and we're sitting here complaining and, and we're, we're justified in our complaining i mean the coaching staff's complaining the players are complaining too this isn't just us being overly critical because they've been outshot by over 100 shots well over 100 i think they're now the the, the shot differential i checked today they're, they're like 50 behind any other team in terms of their shot differential. I mean, it's incredible. Goaltending, even though the numbers don't look great for Carter Hart um, and and Brian Elliott's numbers are good, but uh, the overall goaltending numbers are kind of average. They've been really good, to be honest with you. Um, They've been giving up high-quality chances. They haven't been spending nearly enough time in the offensive zone. So I I look at this and try to answer your question, Taryn, and I I look at specific players. I mean, they're not getting – a lot right now out of some of the younger players, which was not a problem in the bubble. But, you know, Nolan Patrick and Oscar are struggling a little bit. I don't think that that's a surprise. They both had a lot of time off. Uh, Nolan even more than Oscar. Oscar obviously a bigger challenge in terms of his health, but they both had challenges. Uh, So I'm not really surprised. I think we got to cut them some slack for sure. Travis Konegny is very concerning to me. He gets scratched, and the two games back since the scratch have not been him just coming right back and, you know, really playing well, he's kind of been not much of a factor. He's not getting a lot of scoring chances. So, uh, it's been Voracek, Van Riemsdyk, Giroux. These guys are actually having decent starts to their seasons in terms of points, at least. Um, Kevin Hayes, uh, it's been the younger guys to me that, that actually have struggled a little bit this time around. And maybe that's to be expected, at least with a couple of them. Uh, Joel Faraby, of course, has not struggled. But uh, he actually, you know, in between his four-point game one and then his hat trick was pretty quiet too. But he's shown some signs of certainly uh, being a force. Um, so to answer your question, as a team, it's, it's hard to, to tell what's wrong because we know they have it in them. Basically, this same team, minus Matt Niskanen, um, was one of the best teams in the league for three months but they really haven't been at that level since before the pause. Uh, so that's a long time ago. Uh, the Niskanen loss is significant. Um, more and more, uh, you can see on the blue line, although Chuck Fletcher likes to point out that the Fords have left the defenseman in bad, bad shape. The first 10 minutes of the game on Wednesday to me, I thought was more the defenseman uh, with the problem. They were just turning the puck over left and right. Um, and, you know, I'm probably Pro rough had a rough game and, there, yeah. there were there were other players other defensemen struggling but it seems like every night there's something different that's not quite right with the team. But I will say this, the game against the Islanders, the second one that they won in the game against the Bruins, I've seen a little sign of that forechecking MO of the Flyers getting the pucks into the zone, dumping it in. Early last year, they were strictly a dump and chase team. They got away from it a little bit as, as the season wore on, but they were still, that's their MO. It's get the pucks in, go after it, be physical, get the pucks, and then let your skilled players do what they do. I'm seeing more and more of that here the last couple of games. So I think maybe we're getting there Uh, but we're not there yet
2: (laughs) I have have a follow-up for that then for two two follow-ups here sorry Jordan one uh, Matt Niskanen is sorely sorely missed but it does feel like at this point there are other issues and and when you look at what you know not Elaine Vigneault or the team but what people in general are saying it becomes a lot of Wow, Matt Niskanen's loss is really felt. Really felt. But a lot of there are a lot of issues that go beyond just Matt Niskanen not being there anymore. Although I think you cannot sure. under, overstate how important he was to that team. The other question I have: um, Do you think? And neither of these could be true. Do you think the team last year? was not as good as maybe everyone thought because there was that unknown potential of what they could have done had there not been the pause. And I think the Flyers really got the benefit of that doubt because of how well they were playing before the pause. Or do you think this, this year's team is not actually as, as bad as the doomsdayers on Twitter seem to think they are because they do keep getting wins, even though there have been more than one win that they probably didn't deserve that game?
0: Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's um, more um, the former than no, the latter than the former. How's that? I, I think the last year's team, again, as I said, they went three months being one of the best teams in the league. It wasn't three weeks. It wasn't a month. It was three months. That's more than half the season or just about half the season. It's a long time to be one of the best teams in the league and not have it be legit. Uh, so then you start looking at what's different from this year's team than last madness. And then it's part of it. Um, a couple of the, the veteran players are a year older, but to be honest with you, the veteran players are not the ones struggling right now for the most part. Um, and, and so I, I, you, I, really what we're looking at here is what is the ceiling for these younger players, the Travis Sanhives, the Ivan Provorovs, the Phil Myers, the Travis the Joel Farabies? Oscar Lindblom, Nolan Patrick. What are the ceilings? These are the unknowns. We don't – we pretty much know, and it's probably going to be starting to go the other way with some of the older players, but we know what they have, what they're they're being. James Van Riemsdijk's playing some of the best hockey of his life right yeah, now. So the strange. veterans, I, I can't really – it's the young guys that we don't know. I mean, we always project what these guys are going to be, um, you know, it's projected Ivan Provov is going to be a Norris trophy candidate. Uh, it's projected that Travis Sanheim is going to be a solid second pairing, maybe even a top pairing defenseman. Phil Meyer is the same thing. But they're not there yet. And, you know, we don't know if they're going to ever get there. So that's what I'm watching right now. But And that's from a personnel standpoint. From a, a, a team standpoint, it's just the decisions with the puck, which – they weren't making last year that they are this year. Now, what has changed on that? They're the same players for the most part up front, um, and with minus Niskanen. I mean, same same players for the most part. It's not a team that went, underwent a lot of changes, and they're making decisions with the puck that they weren't making last year. So you got to think it's teachable, it's coachable. Um, we're only eleven games in, and they're seven two and two. So. Uh, the good news is they have shown over throughout all both years, they've shown this ability to bounce back and this ability to find ways to win. And that is really a good quality to have as, as they head into the playoffs and hopefully get their mojo back. And then you add to the fact that they're a team that never thinks they're done. And they, they have this ability to, to find ways to win. That's, that's the kind of uh, That's the kind of equation that can do some special things. So you just got to hope they find that mojo. I do think, as I said, we're starting to see signs that they're finding it. Uh, You got to look past the, the collapse against the Bruins. But in much of that game, I was starting to see the four checking flyers, which we need to see.
1: Flyers Talk is presented by Wells Fargo. When our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help. Yeah, Jim. Uh, G- General Manager Chuck Fletcher kind of lamented those those old habits, those old mistakes that the Flyers were not committing down the stretch when they surged down the tw- 2019-20 regular season stretch. It's kind of bad habits that they've fallen back into. And I, part of me wonders, uh, really, if Chuck Fletcher, not that Elaine Vigneault has to get that benching of Travis Konecny signed off by his GM, but part of me wants Wonders if if General Manager Chuck Fletcher gave him the vote of confidence on that because he probably saw some of the bad habits coming back and there's really there's no excuse for that. This is the same team. Uh, obviously, on the back end, they're a little different without Matt Niskanen, but the same four groups. There's no reason uh, that they suddenly stopped playing the system that Elaine Vigneau was playing. But do you believe that they can really get back to the way they were playing? Because, like you said, from really they took a while to get going. They they had a social October. They had a great November, and then they really surged from January on. But from November on, like you said, J.J., they were one of the best teams in hockey. Um, Taryn, what?
2: The vibes in November, I – (laughs) listen, I think Twitter is a black hole for angry people to yell into. But the vibes (laughs) last November – were not totally dissimilar to the vibes right now, where the yeah, team not. wasn't winning every game, but they were getting points out of every game, meaning if they were to lose, they were going to make sure they got one point out of the night. And people, and they say this in Philly, and I grew up in South Jersey, and I grew up Philly sports fan, so I know this is true. In Philly, they say there's two moods, obnoxiously cocky or completely distraught. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a confusing team, because they'll win and they'll get points, but everyone still, it, it, you're not enough to be cocky, so you are distraught. And I, and I thought about it the other day. I said, midway through November last year, people were having a very similar reaction to this team because they did not play well in November. And they got points in November, but they were going to overtime all the time. And they weren't always winning in overtime. And something about that really is just a gut check for you, especially when it's a game like last night where you had the, the game in the bag and you lost it. So I just, since you mentioned November, I had to say, if I went back on my Twitter mentions to November of last year I, or to November of two years ago now, um, I guarantee you, it would not have been completely dissimilar to what we're dealing with now because people were doom and gloom then. They were like, "This team is only ever going to get one point," and they had them. They tied the most points in franchise record in a single month last November. So, yeah. sorry, that's my spiel, and I'm done. Now, well, that was early,
0: like? early November, and I mean, you got to remember back the ridiculous schedule they faced early last season. I mean, they only had to play in nine different time zones or whatever in the first <laughs> month and a half of the season. So, uh, and they had a new coach. Uh, those excuses are all gone. There's, there's no travel issues now. It's, you know, you could use the pandemic. Everyone's in those those rules. The coaching staff is the same, and it's as veteran coaching staff as you're going to see. The system didn't change. Nothing has really changed with this team outside of Matt Niskanen, you know, Eric Gustafson in, Matt Niskanen out. And, uh, you know, a couple of other minor changes. But personnel-wise, it's pretty much the same team, same coaching staff. So I, I think it's there. I think we need to not panic. And it's easy not to panic as far as I'm concerned because they're still at 7-2-2 two, two through 11 games. So, uh, you know, no reason to panic here. Concern? Yes. And the coaching staff has, I, I think, handled it exactly as they should. They, he has not come out with the, uh, you know, looking through rose-colored glasses after these wins. He's come out and said, we won, never critique a win, but then he critiques the win. Um, <laughs> He's scratched his leading goal scorer. He's made changes to the lines and deep airs constantly. So you can tell. You, you judge a coach by his moves as much as what he says, although A.B. has been very forthright, I think, this year. But in general, you, you watch a coach. Uh, my son plays hockey. I've always told my, my wife that you'll know if Johnny's playing well by his ice time, not by what the coach tells us about him. And, and that, that's pretty much what you, you do with a coach at the NHL level too. And you can see with the moves he's made in these first 10, 11 games, he's not been happy and he's come right out and said it. So I think that's right. And I, and I, the players, for the most part, there've been a couple times where I've heard a couple of the veterans say, Oh, hey, we played much better. And I'm thinking, do you really think that? But for the most part, the players have been <laughs> saying, we're not playing well enough to, to be where we want to get to. So I think, I think, and, and as you said, I agree with you, turn. We, we here in Philly, we have a passion um, we have uh, uh, and I love a nice it. way to
2: put it. JJ. Well, I'm I'd sure much rather have it this it way
0: <laughs> than LA where they don't care. You know what I'm saying? So um, I want to have I, I like the passion, but there are times when we need to pull the people, you know, away from the bridge and all that kind of thing, because there, there isn't th- this team still sitting there with one of the best records in the league. And there's time, even though it's a short season to get to that mojo. But having said all that, Friday is a big game for them. And then the two against Washington, these are, these are games against the teams that look like are shaping up to be the top teams in their division. Um, and they play a heavier style, especially Washington that if I really had a bigger concern about this team, even than the way they're playing, it's that we don't have um, that guy that can take care of business um, because I I've seen a couple of flyers get manhandled a little bit here and there with hits and, and people, uh, you know, I see it on Twitter, well, there's no response. But we don't – the Flyers don't really have that guy that can make that response. I mean, anybody can, but, you know, reputation comes into that. Um, and we, the Flyers just don't – hey, you know, Sam played the one game and they, they like to groom him into that role, but, uh, you know, he's still a work in progress. Th- that's something that come playoff time that still exists in hockey, that intimidation, that need for a, a, a guy who uh, can go out, whether it's with a hit, or a fight but more so a hit now and just physical play to to assert himself to to uh, say hey you can't manhandle our players that's still a concern for me as much as the way they're playing i think the way they're playing is temporary i think they're going to get it together and if not chuck fletcher will and have to start making moves but i think we're a ways away from that
2: that's that's really interesting because we talked to Chris Pronger the other day on Flyers pregame and Paul Coffey said you know there's always there's always space for Chris Pronger in hockey in 1910 and in 2020 because people talk about how that breed of just physical intimidation and also skill not to mention he was 6'6 which always helps um, doesn't exist in the game the same way it used to especially among like defensemen let's say uh, and you look at like a Tom Wilson type when you talk about the caps, th- there are not multiple Tom Wilsons anymore. Right. They're, they're very far and few in between. The only guy who, who really has shown flashes of being uh, willing to enforce, at least in the, te- the year since I covered the team, so, you know, two and some change, which is not a massive sample size, but that's the team, that's, that's the era we're looking at now, right? is scott lawton and scott lawton's been one of their best players and you don't really want scott lawton to fight and end up in the penalty box it's the last place you want him so it's kind of it is interesting because do you think the flyers could even go find a guy is there a guy out there that's available they could go get other than grooming a sam moran and hoping that he's at some point you know serviceable as a wing in the nhl as he makes this position transition
0: well, you make the point. There aren't many. Um, there, there's Ryan Reeves, who probably doesn't play as much as a Tom Wilson. Wilson's the, he's he's the poster guy for that right now, and there's, he's as good at it as because he can play on the top line, and yeah. still do it. But uh, you know, the Canadians go out and get Anderson from Columbus. He's a guy who's he's not necessarily going to fight, but he's big, strong, and there's still that intimidation that he could uh, take care of business um so but you're right there aren't that many so who do they go out and get um there's you know you have to see how the divisions are setting up which teams might be not making the playoffs see if there's somebody I'm on one of the lower uh miles wood in new jersey is a guy who uh, can somewhat serve that role again it's not like the dave schultz the, that i'm not saying that the, the Right. There's no more Dave Schultz's. You have to. You, know, you have to be. And, and Dave Schultz, but could play the game. I don't want to say that he couldn't play the game. But the era has changed. It's not going to be a guy who drops the gloves every game. It's just going to be someone who's who's out there and has the uh, ability to intimidate through his reputation through his size, miles wood will drop the gloves he'll also play he can skate like you know he's very great a great skater, and he can score a little bit um, so it's, it's a guy like that can play you have to you have to look around i haven't you know the divisions are still so early in terms of which teams look like they're going to be in it and out of it. But you have to start looking at that maybe if you feel as though you need that going into the playoffs. I think I heard a lot of rumors, whether they're true or not, I don't know that the Flyers were in on Matt Martin. I mean, he was a free agent. And, um, you know, he did sign a four-year deal with the Islanders, but uh, he yes, he really wanted to play there. But there's another one. Matt Martin would be another kind of guy who, who serves that role. He's going to go out there and he can play a regular shift. That fourth line for the Islanders is very effective on most nights. But he's also going to go out there and he's going to bang people and he's going to be there if something develops. Flyers don't really have that guy. Scott Lawton is willing. They have other guys that I, I – I, and Michael Roff will drop the gloves. Jake Forachek will drop the gloves. But these are not guys you really want. Um, in that role, uh, you want somebody uh, who's who's not going to necessarily be on a top line. I mean, Tom Wilson's got that. He's got to walk that, that tightrope because he's now that important to the Caps as far as being on the top line or two, but also be the kind of the enforcer, if you will, um, at least circa 2021 enforcer. So uh, I, it'll be interesting to see. I, I do think they, they might need that because, um, you know, as we get into the late season and then the playoffs – that becomes even more of an impact. You, you, can That physical intimidation is still part of the game. It's not what it used to be, but it's still there.
1: Yeah, you certainly feel a presence of a player. I'm not saying Matt Niskanen by any means was an enforcer. That's not, obviously not his role. But I think the Flyers felt his presence daily. The way he walked around, the way he went about himself in terms of practice habits, um, just his hour-to-hour habits. And I think players looked up to that, and then they – they wanted, to, they wanted to be better for him. They wanted to be on time and work hard for Matt Niskanen because Matt Niskanen kind of – he commands that in the way he acts. Uh, so I wonder, yeah, if the Flyers are just kind of missing that presence, sometimes that presence can go a long way. But it's funny you mentioned Flyers fans, and what we love about them is they live in the moment. They are in the moment. They live and die with every game, every period. As Taryn makes a funny face at me, as if as if fans were
2: living in the first ten minutes through the second period of last night. Let me tell you, because I was on Twitter. Me and Charlie O'Connor were on Twitter with our swords out, trying to tell people to keep positive, which ended up egg on my face. But it was it was doomsday through the entire second period, and me and Charlie were like, "They actually don't look that bad." (laughs) I saw that the first ten was so bad.
0: Taryn, were you at the game or were you watching?
2: No, I was watching from home because I didn't right. do NBC so, Ten. So I mean, so. That,
0: the reason the reason it it happened that way is Eddie Olczyk, dear friend of mine, framed the game that way early, and he and he was accurate in the first ten to twelve minutes of the game. The Flyers were not good. The Bruins were dominating, but they kind of on the national broadcast stuck with that a lot longer into the game than I thought it really was, was playing out that way. I thought the Flyers steadied themselves in the second half of the first period. And then in the second period, I thought the Flyers played pretty well. Uh, it was a pretty even game, at least. Then early third, I think the Flyers were actually playing better. Um, it, but they're, they're still – they kept going back to the turnovers by the Flyers and all that uh, a little bit. So, you know, sometimes the, the fans are we, – we, what we say on the air sometimes frames how they feel about things, too.
1: It's so true. And, and the reason I brought up fans, was, it was funny because, you know, I'm there live at the game, and, after the, I, you know, as that thing unfolds, as ugly as it did, I'm thinking, man, that is a bad loss. That is a game that cannot give away. And as I'm writing my story on deadline and I'm changing the Flyers record, I change it to 7-2-2, two, and, two, and I'm like, you know, 7-2-2 two, two is not too bad. <laughs> as bad as that loss what is, I'm saying it all year. Record. Right, exactly, Jim. And and then there, me. I was kind of like, okay, bad loss, but big picture perspective. They're still seven two and two. Uh, Let's give it some time. But Jim, that's what we love about Flyers fans. And you have dealt with, you have become uh, one with Flyers fans for a long, long time (laughs) now with uh, your broadcasting voice. And you started a broadcasting program. We want to ask you about that. But we first wanted to ask you, how did you get into broadcasting? What made you want to get into this type of job? And Obviously, you've been in it a long time now and love it.
0: Yeah, I mean, as long as I can remember, I love sports. And when I was really young, I fancied myself a NBA, NHL, NFL, or Major League Baseball player, as we all do, I think, or most of us. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I played the youth sports, but quickly realized, uh, I mean, I'm not the smartest guy around, but I did finally realize I wasn't going to make it to where I wanted to make it as an athlete. And I mean, quickly, like by the time I was eight or nine. (laughs) So, so I, I wanted to find some other way. And uh, I talked, my father would watch me. I'd have a tape recorder in front of the TV and I'd start to call games. And he said, well, why don't you look into broadcasting? Yeah, I might do that. So it became get to Syracuse. I grew up just an hour from Syracuse. So Syracuse has a great broadcast school. And so that became my goal, get into new house. And I got there and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, try to make this as short as possible, but you know, I had to find a way to get, get there. So broadcasting was the way and Syracuse led to one thing. And then I got a job in Utica. I got a ton of breaks. Um, the devils came to town. I got to do AHL hockey for six years. And then, then I got the job here. Um, that that's an abridged version of it. Uh, I, I tell students all the time. There's lots of times where I could have given up on it. Things weren't going well. People told me I was crazy. I wasn't good. Um, But you push through all that, and if you have a dream, follow it. And you know, you're gonna have the noise, you just have to block that noise out. The noise continues until the day you leave the earth, so uh, you just don't let the noise bother you. If if you have a dream, um, you follow that dream. That's the one lesson I, I, I like to teach anybody. It doesn't matter whether it's broadcasting or not, but if you have a dream professionally, you, you go for that dream and don't let somebody else tell you that you can't make it. You'll know, and hopefully that day never comes, but you'll know in your heart or in, in your head that, okay, it's it's time to give up on it, but don't let somebody else. Because I had, I had the sports director at the student station at Syracuse who went on to have a great career and was considered a top-notch prospect as a broadcaster at the time because Sports Illustrated come in and done a story on on Syracuse and called him a 10 out of a 10. So he was kind of set for uh, getting out of college with a job. Well, shortly after that article came out, he told me I wasn't good enough. So I went home and I remember I went back to my dorm and I said, I'm I'm a junior. Is it too late to change my major? What am I going to do here? I was kind of crushed, but then I I thought about it. I'm not going to let him tell me why, why should I let him tell me that I'm here. I'm at Syracuse. I'm doing games. Somebody likes me. I'm on the air. Um, And so I I kept pushing and I used his words as motivation instead of letting it crush me. So you're always going to have that kind of stuff. You have to push through it. Taryn knows, I'm sure she has had to fight through stuff like that too. It's, it's just, it's part of the business. It's part of life now because we're so social, that uh, you you hear everything, so you just have to blow through that kind of stuff. But uh, anyhow, I got the job here. I actually had the job in Anaheim. I got two job offers at once when I was in Utica after having none for like seven years, and um, chose here because I knew the Flyers would win the Stanley Cup before the Anaheim Ducks I was wrong. But, uh, I mean, the Flyers and Eric Lindros were crying out loud. Of course, Jackson, they were going to win.
2: Jackson Jinks. It's the original yeah. Jackson Jinks. <laughs> that's right. Uh,
0: but, you know, we, it's, I certainly don't regret the move because the Flyers, um, every year, uh, go for it. And that that's certainly under Ed Snyder they did. Had a little bit of a lull here from 2012 to now, but now it's really exciting again. So, great, great time to be with the Flyers, and it's been I can't believe 27 years did first two years in radio and then moved over to television and, um, had great broadcast partners. I mean, Gary Dornhofer, Keith Jones, Bill Clement, uh, as far as guys that were in the booth and Steve Coates in the booth with me, and then Coatesy down on uh, I side, Chris Taryn, Taryn. I mean, I've had the best as far as people to work with. So that, that certainly helps too. Two
2: part question for you, JJ. Yes. Um, where is the, where is the guy now? who was at Syracuse, who sounds like a big dingus, and what made you get into? I can't what say,
0: I, I'm not gonna say his name because there's connections locally, believe it or not. But- Oh, uh, really? But, uh, but he- Am I gonna he, get
2: in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I don't, you're gonna get me in trouble probably. He had a great, and still is having a great career. And, and I'll tell you a funny story, which might lead some people to understand who this person is, but anyhow. Um, he had a brother who was in the business, and his brother wanted to get me back together with his brother once I got to Philadelphia. And, you know, I didn't have the heart to tell him the story because he was so pumped. I'm going to get you and, and, and together. And so we were playing Buffalo in a, a playoff series and um, he, he, he got us together and, you know, I, I, it was great. And, you know, Hey, he, he kind of noticed we weren't like big hug kind of thing. It was just, Hey, how are you? And I, I didn't even say anything to, to the person, Uh, until about 10 years later, he was in San Francisco. I was covering the Phillies for the NLCS 2010. And, uh, he was out there and invited me to come on his show. And right before we go on the air, I said, do you remember telling me I'd never make it? He goes, I never said that. I said, yeah, you did. It became kind of my motivation. And we, we, we got past it at that point, but he, he still said, I don't even remember saying it to him. It was no big deal. Right. To me it was huge. So, um, But, yeah, he's had a great career, and he's one of the the top broadcasters to come out of Syracuse. And uh, He just – I don't know he was in a bad mood or whatever. I I was probably asking for too many games. I wanted to do too many of the basketball games or something. I might have ticked him off. I don't know. But he let me have it. I overcame it, and that's the story.
2: (laughs) Did you figure out who it was? No. Okay, Uh, good. I'll ask you once we're not recording anymore. Uh, (laughs) uh, The other question, because this is a question I get all the time, um, people always, I think when it comes to broadcasters, especially unless they, you were a hockey player or you grew up in like Minnesota or Canada <laughs> are always ask why hockey. And I grew up in South Jersey. The Flyers were in my house, the number one team out of the four. Like it was cause my brother played hockey and
0: well, your uncle up- played right.
2: Yeah, my Uncle Darian, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and he practiced at the skate zone in Voorhees. So we would see, like, when they had afternoon games and stuff, the Flyers had a Saturday morning practice. We would see guys leaving as we were coming in or, like, pulling back around where the Flyers park. You know, we would see, like, you know, Bentley's coming out, and we knew (laughs) that's got to be them. Um, And so hockey was big in our home, but people are always shocked, and they always – kind of I think it doesn't resonate like especially for women I I know specifically hockey broadcasting when it comes to women is still somewhat new yeah but people when you when you work in all of the sports to begin with they're always they seem like they're the most shocked when you say yeah actually like broadcasting hockey has been a dream for me like it's awesome so what made you get into hockey obviously I know up in up in New York like hockey's big up there as well but it, it uh, unless you're from minnesota or canada people are always shocked when you want to go in hockey i feel
0: like yeah it's funny when i um started doing the phillies in 07 people were calling me that what's the hockey guy doing baseball for right and i laugh at that because the one sport i did not play at all was hockey as a kid i played it uh, a kid up the street had an outdoor rink and we, we got together and played. That's it. I played no organized hockey, all the other, the other, I didn't play soccer either, but the other three major sports I played, you know, little league and I played pop Warner football and we called it bitty basketball up in Utica, whatever that means. But it, um, I didn't play hockey,
2: basketball, huh?
0: Yeah. So it's not like I, when I was six years old, I said, I want to be the next Gene Hart or the next Dan Kelly or the. Ne-. it wasn't that way. I wanted to be an announcer for any of the four major sports at that time. Soccer wasn't as big, but it was basketball, football, baseball, hockey. Um, I loved all four sports. I followed them passionately. I wanted to make it. I, I'm in hockey by happenstance. The Devils happened to move their team to Utica, their AHL team. My station got the rights and I did AHL hockey from the time I was 23 years old, which is really young to be doing AHL hockey. It was a break. I kind of created the break by creating a position for me, but that's a whole long story. Bottom line is, if the Devils didn't move their team, I would have been doing New York Penn League baseball, high school football, and ECHL or UHL hockey, which would not have gotten me the jump to the Philadelphia Flyers. So, one of the main reasons I'm doing hockey is because hockey came to me, I didn't go to hockey. Um, now, I did grow up loving the sport because it was a minor league team in Utica. My father bought uh, season tickets for our family. We bought a half season ticket one year to share with the other veterinarian. He was a veterinarian. The other veterinarian in his practice, they split it. But we found we liked it a lot more than the other other vets. So we took over the season ticket the next year and that's how I fell in love with the sport. So I'm not saying I don't like hockey. I just do it. No, I love the sport. I, I fell in love with it at the minor league level. Um, and then of course i watched games nationally as well. And then, but again, if, if, uh, let's say a, uh, uh, it wouldn't have happened, but uh, a Division One college basketball team had moved to Utica. I did one year of Division One. Utica College was Division One, Then they dropped back to Division Three. But if a Division One team and I had done three or four or five or six years of Division One college basketball, I might be a Sixers announcer, although Zoo has that pretty well handled. But oh. I, I might be a basketball announcer uh, at the NBA level. It really wasn't me choosing hockey but I'm glad because I love the sport and I love all all the sports to be honest with you. But um, I I do love, love hockey. There's the, the passion, the the pace, the physicality of it. So um, it's a good fit.
2: I know that we're biased, but do you think we're, we're the most, I think so at least the most fortunate in terms of the schedule, the players that we work with, the PR that we work with. I, I, I just think, you know, and I have done, sideline for basketball and i've done other things but i just it seems as though we really in the hockey community luck out in terms of the broadcasters we work with the players that we work with and the teams that we work with i think yeah are by far the best in any of the professional sports leagues
0: yeah i mean we have it great when it comes to the players for sure because uh, i've worked in other sports and there are also great baseball players i mean Brad Lidge, you can't get a nicer person than okay. Brad Lidge. And and uh, Aaron Nola, Reese Hosk. I can go right down the list of people I covered when I was with the Phillies that are t- top notch. But you also have some bad eggs in baseball. And uh, during the losing years of the Phillies, we saw some several and Jonathan Papelbon and some others come to mind. And, I mean, they were tough to work with. They were just tough to get interviews with. You, they used intimidation. Um, they, so – uh, i don 't see a lot of that in hockey that 's for sure they 're almost all the The ones that are considered challenging in hockey are are really nice guys in most other sports so um, we 're definitely definitely blessed that way um, the, the The schedule uh, I used to laugh because I do baseball summer and then go to hockey and it would seem like, wow, this is great. There's like a day or two off between games sometimes. Uh, Baseball's a real grind that way. Football's the best schedule, of course, once a week, but uh, I don't think you get probably to know the the players as well in a 16-game schedule and have to deal with them as much. So I agree with you, Taryn. I mean, it's a great sport to cover. The fans I also love because uh, while we're all Philadelphia sports fans, I know Eagles fans are are Flyers fans and Phillies fans are Flyers fans and Sixers fans are, are Flyers fans there's just something about NHL and, and Flyers fans and in any other city Bruins fans, they, they are so passionate and loyal, um, that, uh, I, I, still think it's a little bit more loyal than other sports. Uh, I don't know why that's the case. Um, but it seems that way to me, um, unscientific, but I, it just, it just seems that they're, they're so loyal to their teams, uh, Compared to other sports. Um, and, and so, yeah, I agree with you. I think we, we've got it pretty good. No complaints.
2: They're like the, the, like the lunch table of like cool kids that like listen to music you haven't heard and whatever. And you want to go sit at their table and they're like, prove that you're really, you know, one of us. I mean, even when I came in as a broadcaster, it was like, you can sit at the table, but you got to prove you're one of us. And I was sitting yeah. there like, I promise I remember watching RJ Umberger in person. Like I promise I'm one of you, <laughs> please let me in. Exactly. But no, I think you're right. If you're if you're a fly like if flyers are your number one of the four sports in Philly, you're you're a different level educated and dedicated. I find in general, like I have friends who are Eagles fans, meaning like they like to go to the bar for Eagles games and they have lots of Eagles gear. Yeah. But if I was like talking about Darius Slay, they'd be like, do we go to high school with him? Like, who is that?" So. <laughs> The hot Flyers fans aren't like that. I could say something about Cam York and a Flyers fan would be like, Yeah, he did really good at World Juniors, like really yeah. impressive. So, you know, it's different for yeah, you. Some some
0: of them will know exactly what he did in his last game in Michigan. I mean they're they're that good. I mean Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, they they're 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 all over it for the most part, that's for sure.
1: And I know a lot, of, a lot of Young Flowers fans, a lot of them, I've had them talk to me. Um, I think they aspire to be broadcasters because of Jim Jackson. They have heard Jim Jackson's voice. I don't think Jim will admit that, but it is true. I will not. I've had, I've had so many people come up to me, and I tell them, I am amazed at how like, Jim's talent of calling hockey games at the pace in which that game plays and to do it as cleanly as, as he does. Truly incredible. And that's why I was so excited to see Jim start his own broadcasting program uh, during the all season and boy jim i can only imagine how many people were emailing you signing up for that what has that been like for you i'm, I'm sure you enjoy it and I, gosh i can only imagine how many people are enjoying it uh just getting your mentorship
0: yeah i mean and hey let's be honest the reason i'm doing it is i got more time because i, I was let go by the phillies so i had more time but i'm so happy that i was able to do it uh, because we were barraged with with um with people wanting to do it the first couple months November December uh, way more than I thought in fact I was pretty much I'm on one of these all, all the time doing the and we have obviously during the pandemic have to do it through zoom and uh, you know that way but but it, it's been a lot of fun it's basically you know three sessions and if they have a, a, a tape or, or clips to look at we can expand it and I can go over those with them as well. But uh, we, I just talk about the business in general. We talk about techniques, depends, doesn't matter whether you want to be play-by-play, sideline, anchor, reporter, talk show host, uh, even some news uh, news anchors, news reporters. Uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. I, I get to meet the people, get to know them, get to know what they want to do in the business. And then I can tailor make the, the sessions for, for what they are. And then it's not just buying three sessions. It's basically you're buying a mentor. I I, I'm in touch with several of these. I've referred a couple to to some jobs, um, since they took the, the classes. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been very rewarding. Um, I was there once I would have given anything to be able to talk to, to a broadcaster when I was in high school or college or just out of college, even, uh, just for advice and to have someone to lean on. So I'm trying to, to give that to them. And, um, I'm really happy with it. The uh, One thing is, though, as the season starts, I don't have as much time. I can't do as many, but we're still keeping it going. So if people out there think that I've stopped because the season started, I haven't. Go to jjbroadcastingcoaching at com. Just let me know you're interested, and uh, we'll set something up.
1: Yeah, Jim, I was just going to ask, can you tell people where to go? and that's, Free
0: plug, yeah.
1: We did Self-promotion. It we Perfect. <laughs> so as you heard of fans out, Jim is still doing it, obviously, during the season, uh, during a busy season. So um, that, that is just so awesome. I know Taryn and I I'll certainly look up to that. And I know many aspiring broadcasters. Well, yeah, I
0: already had Taryn uh, pop in on with, with one of my uh, students. So she, oh, that's awesome. I, I asked the student when I start, who do they want to, you know, who's their mentor, who's their their idol, or who do they want to be like as far as a broadcaster? And uh, this uh, one young woman said uh, Taryn Hatcher. So right in my head it says, okay, for our last session, I'm going to see if I can get Taryn. I had uh, one who wasn't necessarily didn't want to be Scott Hartnell as a broadcaster because Scott is just starting, but he loves Scott Hartnell so much. He kept bringing him up as a, as a player that I had Scottie come in uh, and, and guest and and I had uh, Jim Salisbury. One wanted to be a, a major league baseball insider. So I had Jim. So I try to surprise him with, with the guests that come in and thankfully I have some friends such as Taryn, who will be nice enough to, uh, you know, give some of their time. And oh, just
2: great! My ego, man, my head barely fit through the door. she <laughs> did. He like, did pump you up quite go. a bit.
0: <laughs> we haven't been able to be around and even be a bear Taryn ever since then. But you know, it's. Uh... <laughs>
1: I can only imagine. I was like, oh, you
2: want to be me? Oh. <laughs> that's crazy. You should see me when if, I'm on the road. If
0: she only knew, Taryn, right? If she only yeah, knew. I
2: was about to say, she should see me when I would be like on the road and I was shooting and editing. So I'd be like shooting and editing and like calling Uber after Uber after Uber to try to get to a rank. And I would be in the Uber and like like Calgary. And I'd be like, can you drive faster? And it's icy. And then I get to the rink and I'm a disheveled mess. And I'm like, Jake, can I please talk to you for five minutes? And Jake's like, what do you want to talk about today, Taryn? And then I'm just like running back to the hotel it's like, yeah. sometimes I sit here and I try to like, you know, you JJ you know, we like try to be inspirational. And sometimes you're like, yes. guys, you see how this meat is really made sometimes. Yeah,
0: it's like, I, oh, I, I, I tell them it's not all glamorous, that's for sure. You know, Win- Winnipeg in any way, shape or form in any, any time past October is not glamorous, you know, so no. it's freezing. But no. yeah, uh, but having said all that, Turn, I would give anything and listen closely. I'd give anything to be going to Winnipeg to cover a game tomorrow. So, yeah, uh, because I, I do miss the road right now. It's uh, uh, we're getting there. Hopefully we're getting back to fans eventually to travel because it's, it is a little different right now, but we're doing what we can to, to make it as normal for the fans as possible.
2: So you miss, you miss the road, the time, the time home. I mean, I get the setup, the TV setup. People don't realize cause I say to people like, yeah, well, basically they have big TVs and one of them, like at least for the bubble, it was like one of them was just the big wide shot of all the players, all the benches. And then basically what you're seeing on TV, but it's so, so much harder to call a game that way. And everybody's like, why? If that's what's going out on TV, that's what should go into TV. <laughs> and it's it's not that simple. There's a lot that's difficult. Like the the, the opposite side of it is for me, when I was actually watching on TV versus being next to the ice. I felt like I had a much better grasp on game flow because when you're at one end of the ice and you're at ice level, uh, it's, it's a little like if somebody's, you know, say they're playing the Islanders, the Islanders just forechecking the crap out of the flyers. It just feels like the puck is a million miles away from you all night. You don't fully get the flow, but it's, it's different for you. It's a completely different ball game. What you're doing now versus when we are on the road.
0: Yeah, there's no. you can't see where the puck's going, and you need to see where the puck's going. Secondly, you can't see the back referee, and they're making a lot of the calls. So all of a sudden, play just stops, and you're like, okay, must be a penalty somewhere. Um, so, you know, it's not as good. Uh, I've had a lot of people say, I thought you were there on the road. Um, so, you know, we do the best we can with it. But, uh, uh, hey, the, the sacrifices so many people are making during this pandemic, this is pretty small on the on – the, uh, totem pole of that so uh, we're just doing what we can to make it seem as natural as possible have some fun and if the Flyers win everybody's happy anyhow right so
2: you know what what made me uh it made us all bust out laughing the other night as we were watching the game because it's what every Flyers fan was thinking it was the the night of uh, a million hooks like when the refs were just whistle happy on the hooks and there was one where where you go And that one's called by the ref at center ice all the way from center ice. And I am sitting there and I was just like, thank you, Jim Jackson. Because that was bizarre. I'll,
0: I'll tell you, and, you know, Mike Tirico and Edzo did a great job in the game Wednesday, but on the Kevin Hayes hook, the call, the broadcast call, would have been a lot different if we had been oh, yeah. calling the game. Oh yeah, I and mean, that just you can't call that my with two minutes ago. The to go. TV, I'm like,
2: where's JJ to have my back?
0: <laughs> yeah, two minutes to go in a game, you can't make that call. But anyway.
1: <laughs> well, Jim Jackson, thank you so so much. It is always great hearing uh, from Jim uh, talking Flyers, and you can catch him on all the broadcasts. Uh, nothing like his voice and calling the Flyers game. So, Jim, thank you so much. Karen Hatcher, thank you so much as well. Cannot wait to talk to you soon and see you on pre and post game live. And Flyers fans, as always, thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and subscribe. And we cannot wait to talk to you next time.